morning. I'm uh, very fortunate to be with you today. And thank you for your attention and your kindness. Coming up out of the city this morning was very, very beautiful as the Hudson was filled with ice floats stacking up on each other. It looked like a painting of the 19th century Hudson Valley. And uh, then when we got further up and next to the Tappan Zee of the Dutch, saw the reflection of the Haverstraw Hills uh, equally presented on top as real and on the water below the line as images. And it was a wonderful experience. Uh, Deborah and I are actually in the city because I have an appointment this year, this semester, as last semester last year, that is with uh, Nyack College in the Manhattan campus where there are about 800 students in a degree completion program as well as regular college to give lectures, to give colloquia with faculty and students on a variety of subjects. This year it'll be the introduction of several authors who, though not being Christians, yet nevertheless talk in their research, scientific research, about the very things that the Bible emphasizes, the uniqueness of the human mind, uh, the argumentativeness that is ours on the basis of living as God's image bearers, with imagination, with doubt, with questions, and with the need to know, as well as uh, giving some lectures at the church we usually attend, which is Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church, uh, where we'll speak on three Sundays, uh, late in March and early April. Uh, to give the sermon today in the text that you chose for me, that is for the day, and I happen to be invited to preach, uh, the title I gave is Jesus Initiates a Coup d'État. Now, a coup d'État is an overthrow. It's not usually what we associate with Jesus. And yet, it is exactly that which the Gospels introduce us to. It is indeed an overthrow of that which had gone wrong in order to start the repair job. It is that which it came into darkness because of the sinfulness of man and the ignorance of human beings and the cruelty of people to people and the reality of death over all of it, as Osgin has once gave a title to one of his books, early books, The Dust of Death, which is on everything. Into that, Jesus acts with a coup d'etat. Now, we're not used to coup d'etats in our Western societies. Where we have kings, they pass on their kingship from father to son or from mother to eldest child in a nice and uncomplicated way because we have told the kings to no longer rule but just reign. And that's a dramatic difference because they don't make any decisions. Even the Queen of England does not have her own policies. She reads the paper prepared by the Prime Minister. Until the kings, like the King of Spain, currently runs into trouble and his children get into financial shenanigans and untruths, and then all of a sudden you wonder what's going on. Where you do not have a king, you have what we are familiar with, a democracy, which is a marvelous way of passing on power without violence from one person to another. And though the reaction to the new man or woman in office may be different, may be most difficult, as it seems to be in this present climate here in this country, yet nevertheless, it is not a coup d'etat. A coup d'etat is a powerful replacement 
of what has become a prior wrong, a wrong authority, a wrong way of looking at life, a wrong dealing with reality of the human condition. When the old normal has become abnormal, it needs to be replaced with a new normal. And the old normal at the time of Christ's birth was the hate of the Romans for the uniqueness of the biblical orientation that there is but one true and living God and the emperor is not God. And it was expressed, their opposition was expressed, at least the Roman opposition was expressed in the fact when Jesus was born, Herod killed all those babies in Bethlehem. That was an expression of the people in government. Or in the later life of Christ, we find his interaction with Pharisees and lawyers who had so distorted the teaching of the scriptures, the word of the prophets, that it would have been better for them to be drowned with a millstone hung around their neck because they kept people from coming to God and knowing the joy of understanding what life is about. Rules and regulations, habits and practices so controlled the church's or the, the synagogue's life that in fact it was very difficult to understand anything about the true nature and character of God. People were ruled by the teaching of Pharisees and lawyers. And likewise, more since then, you can mention the 16th century, the time of the Reformation, when superstition was, had to be replaced with facts, when faith was re to be replaced with scientific insight, when sin was replaced with a rule of law, a law that was subject to review, to critical evaluation, and served, in fact, the improvement of the human existence rather than its hindrance. And so we find in the Gospels that Jesus comes indeed to bring in the new normal that restores the preceding normal because in the meantime things have become so abnormal. And in that sense, I wanted to use the word Jesus's coup d'etat. We find that not only in this miraculous, wonderful account of the promise that one day a woman would give birth to the Messiah, that the Messiah has now been born. We find that at the beginning of the Gospels. We find it also that Jesus, already at the age of 12, argued with the Pharisees over their misinterpretation of God's word and law. And you find this wave of change coming with the arrival of the Son of God, who then is baptized in the River Jordan by John the Baptist as a place where it is publicly shown that this is indeed the true Lamb of God, to which, to whom, all the preceding sacrifices of little animals in the Old Testament showed and of which they were a picture representing both the fact that God covered Adam and Eve's sin with the skin of an animal and that the sacrifices foreshadowed the coming of the true Lamb of God who, when he appeared to John the Baptist, was indeed shown to be the Holy One. The voice opened, came from heaven this is my son, my well-beloved son, hear ye him. And as soon as that provocative reality, Jesus' birth, his reasoning with Pharisees, his being baptized and shown to be the true Lamb of God, the Son of God, the eternally awaited Messiah, 
the conflict starts in public. Satan is drawing him out with the three temptations that you read in a preceding Sunday, I'm sure, about uh, whether he would use his miraculous power for his own needs, that is, can you satisfy your own hunger? Work a little miracle, O Lord. Or to draw him out of his power by magic. Come on, you can jump off the highest corner of the temple. Or to compromise and do power sharing with Satan, the way Mugabe has asked to have the opposition do power sharing with him in Rhodesia, Zimbabwe, and the way Mr. Assad has offered to, uh, I'm sorry, Mr. The, the president of, of uh, Ukraine has offered to have the opposition leader become the new prime minister and then beat him up. That kind of compromise with Satan is indeed part of the temptation and Jesus successfully and rightly opposes all of them with a clear reference to the text, to what God has said in the Old Testament, you shall not uh, transcend that which God has given us. He reasons from the text about the same truth, about the understanding of reality, about his calling, and that there's not to be any work done with the intention of serving in any way that which is evil, broken, damaged of the devil. Then we hear in the Gospels, in the next passage, that John the Baptist, the last Old Testament prophet, has been arrested. His head is not yet chopped off, but Jesus makes the decision on the basis of that to go to Galilee. First he goes to his own hometown, Nazareth, and there he teaches what we read in the scriptures today. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he says, and that has been fulfilled in your midst today. I have come from God, I am God, to declare to you that what you're familiar with, what you see around you, what you accept as normal, is abnormal, is to be judged, needs to be corrected, needs to be healed. And they say, oh, that's just Joseph's son. Why would you accept that? And so finding no welcome in Nazareth, rather the opposite, trying to be, they try to stone him, he leaves and he goes northeast to Capernaum, which is the place where what takes place in the next section of the text read today. In Capernaum, the teaching of the good news to the poor, the freedom to the prisoner, the sight to the blind, release to the oppressed, is fulfilled also in Capernaum. Capernaum is at the crossroads roadways from the Tigris and Euphrates valleys to Egypt and from the northern coast, what we call Lebanon today, down into the Arabian Peninsula. It's a market town. It has a synagogue. And there he teaches with authority. Repent. The kingdom of God is near. Now it's very interesting that the text tells us that he teaches with authority and not I'm sorry, that he teaches from authority. And um, wipe that out. He teaches with authority, we read in verses 33 and 36. And that's different from the, what the Pharisees did who preached from authority. They quoted text, other rabbis. They quoted their legal opinions. 
They had all kinds of sources which they gathered, this and that. And Jesus spoke from authority himself. He, the author of the universe, knows what he's talking about, has the authority to give it shape and to correct that which is wrong, not by public appraisal or opinion, but rather from authority of his own person, of his own being. In fact, the word authority here has the same root as the word being of one being, of one substance with a father that you know from the Nicene Creed. He speaks from his own substance, from his own divinity. And it is that authority that drives out the demon we shall read, we will find in the rest of the passage. The poor, the prisoners, the blind, the oppressed shall be dealt with, the physic with physical, spiritual, and intellectual healing power and information. This is indeed the good news that comes from the substance of God's own being, that he exists, as Genesis 1-1 tells us, in the beginning God created, he was already there and had been forever. He created, he loved, he enjoyed, he communicated. He created human beings as different from everything else, namely in his image, and gave them mandates to be creative and not just to accept their fate or their situation in life or their circumstances as somehow naturally willed, but each person is valued as an individual, given a name and loved as precious and important. And of course, that substance of God, that authority of God also tells us that what God was interested in is creating life and how death is the very opposite of life, not a different form of continuity. How life ever since the third chapter of Genesis is described as unfair, as lacking justice, as something justice, as something to be sought, not recognized and found in day-by-day -day experiences. Sickness is something to be done away with, to be healed. The death, uh, death is to be uh, opposed and fought, which is why we go to doctors and find out what is a healthy food and reject too much sugar and salt and such things. We are to be delivered from the power of fear, of the fear of death, the fear of government, the fear of fate and present situations. And it is in this sense that Jesus comes, right from the beginning, at his birth, with the Pharisees, against the temptations of Satan, against the refusal of people to listen in Nazareth, to speak with authority, because he is authority against all the abnormality of our present situation. It is indeed easy to assume similar perspectives as the Pharisees did. That is to establish a way of reading things that is geared or seen through the glasses that they impose from their pharisaical and lawyer-minded perspectives. We all are under such dangers to assume certain perspectives and read all of life through them. There are power structures, there are ideologies, there are religions, there are dreams that color the way we look at life and they all tend to take us away from the authority, the very being of God revealed in word and in the person of Jesus Christ confirmed and powerfully insisted on 
by the work of the Holy Spirit. All these things, these systems that oppress, that exclude, that minimize, that diminish, that reject, are to be reviewed in light of the person of Jesus Christ, who speaks with authority in words, as we shall see him driving out the demon of the demon-possessed man. These formulas prevent us from seeing things as they ought to be seen, people as individuals, not as Christians or non-Christians, or Republicans or Democrats, or atheists or Buddhists, or gay or straight. All of these categories are categories which we impose in such a way that it hinders us from actually recognizing here is a fellow human being made in the image of God, loved by God, and grieved over when indeed sin and misbehavior and error of thought leads to the tragedies of oppression, of power struggles, of loss of significance. We need to review these powers that prevent us from seeing reality as God sees reality, of running after people the way Jesus ran after people, of looking out with compassion and confronting them with the authority of truth, not the authority of a system, or the authority of an association, or the authority of a title. When in that short little passage, among those who listen to Jesus in the synagogue of a Pentecom is one possessed by the demon. We find here that attitude of Christ that we long for in ourselves, should long for in ourselves, expressed powerfully. Here, Jesus not only comes to earth, he not only argues with the Pharisees at the age of 12, he not only stands up to the temptations of the devil, he not only walks out of the rejecting people of Nazareth, but rather here he also once again enters the territory of Satan's rule. He, after all, Satan is the prince of the power of this world. He is the prince of this world, but one prince who is now condemned. I don't quite know in what form this possession is to be understood. It speaks of a demon. It also speaks of the demonic. I don't know whether that possession was physical and more, or only other with physical manifestations. I don't know. What we realize is that here was the rule of one who sought to diminish the work of God. And Christ stands up to it powerfully with word and deed against this demonized person who in his physical outworking, in his intellectual perception, in his deeds and in his spiritual power, ruled this man's life and behavior. And into this, Jesus meddles, as it were, by bringing this coup d'etat into the realm of the power of the evil one. Not, notice well in the text, by a magical formula, the demon-possessed man uses a magical formula in order to somehow control the power of Christ by saying, 
How would you want with us, said Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God, a designation which Mary had received from the angel, that the child that you will give birth to will be called Jesus, because he's the Holy One of God. And here this demon-possessed man tries to use that name of Christ, properly attributed to Christ, in order to somehow avoid the outworking of Christ's powerful presence. It is like a magical formula, and Jesus does not use a counter formula. He just says, I am God, and you leave. He speaks with authority, not from authority. The Holy Spirit that was there at the baptism of Christ is in contrast to the spirit of the evil one. Jesus confronts that evil one, the devil, working in this poor soul, in this poor person, and tells him to be quiet uh, and to get out. Yes, I've come to destroy you, is really the response to the question, have you come to destroy you? Jesus says, be quiet. Jesus said sternly, come out of him. And then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, what is this teaching? With authority and power, he gives orders to evil spirits, and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. That is really what Jesus wants us to do. That's what he wants us to understand, that on the basis of being God's children, on the basis of being in Christ, on the basis of the Holy Spirit's work in us, we should be able to take on some, in some fashion those aspects that make life so tragic, that oppress, that indeed keep people in their uh, prison, that make people unfree, blind to what is true, and physically blind at times. That is what the history of Christians has demonstrated, for better and for worse, and no, in no great purity or constancy. Yet nevertheless, the guts to take on those structures, power structures, philosophical structures, ideological structures, that try to limit our understanding of our calling and our life's work, to remove these in order, in fact, to set prisoners free. You live in Osning. There is, ever since my childhood, I knew about it, Sing Sing. I know the town changed its name because it didn't want to be associated with a prison. But everybody knows it's there. America has one of the largest prisons populations in the world, proportionate to its citizenship, because people are just shoved up into prison without much care being shown to what is at the origin of the crime or what is the heaviness, the weight of the crime. People are just sent off the way they're sent off in China. You're right behind China in the number of prisons, prisoners proportionate to your citizens. Oh, if only we as Christians found ways to so relieve people from the pressure, from the possessions, from the possess being possessed, from the blindness, from the oppression of a society which indeed creates such tensions, hate and disillusionment, that many indeed seek escapes in crime, and sometimes in drugs, and sometimes just in cruelty to each other, horrible things, each and of themselves. But they need to hear of the freedom that we have 
intellectually, spiritually, and also emotionally as people in the knowledge that God loves us, that we're meant to be people, that we're given mandates to create a life, that we ought to love each other and be gracious and forgiving, generous with each other and patient. Rather than hiding behind the categories which allow us to get away with not doing those things, it seems to me that what Jesus is pointing out here, that in all these areas we ought to practice something like a coup d'etat, be a surprise to each other, be a surprise to our neighbors, by helping them, by giving a life model to them, by explaining to them the tragedy of life with which they, not share, they don't share alone, but we all share in different ways, and to be of such a help that it points indeed to a greater fulfillment of what the scriptures tell us we are made in the image of God. Christ came with a coup d'etat. The old normal that was there for Adam and Eve was destroyed and became abnormal. And Christ came to bring in the new normal powerfully, not gently and silently, but powerfully with word and deed. Interesting is that at that time in Capernaum, he had already gathered a couple of disciples. And from there on, in the next passages, he would gather more disciples. So that what he was doing and teaching about the freedom from oppression, the freedom for prisoners, the freedom from poverty, the freedom from spiritual and other blindness, the freedom from the demons' possessions, would also be practiced by his disciples. They would then be sent out to do likewise. That's the call for us. To not hide behind our definitions, which protect us and explain always why we don't have to do things. Remove those and see in each other broken human beings that need to know the wholeness of God's counsel, the wonder that what the present represents is abnormal is not good enough, is not justified, is not fair. And then to seek to find ways to bring into these contexts something of love and wholeness and understanding and goodness and patience, love as Christ exhibited it. Throughout the Gospels, as you will find as you walk through Luke, you find Jesus not holding your hand to say it's okay but urging us to take the life we have in him and the understanding we have of life from scripture and the power we've been given by the Holy Spirit dwelling in us to make a difference, to make a change and to bring people to greater freedom in Christ. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for <coughs> your text, the scriptures, the choice of events described to us so that we would learn more about your existence and passion, your desire for us, and to be encouraged, Father, against all discouragement, against all sense of smallness, of insignificance, against all temptation to cower in the corner and be pleased, that we would indeed, Father, have the guts to stand up and, to, and step out and reach out to those that are wounded, imprisoned, blind, unfree, and to tell them the good news. We don't live in a world in which what happens is blindly to be accepted, but in which you reign. You are the authority. You give strength and power. 
your word clarifies. We pray, Father, that we would learn to be wise and desire, indeed, to heal that which is so wounded. Father, you know us in our different abilities. Surprise us by what else we can do. Help us, our Heavenly Father, to break through the excuses we have made for ourselves so that we would be your people and serve you well and thereby serve each other. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.